Amen. Amen. It's my privilege tonight to bring to the platform just a precious man, precious friend of mine that uh, that speaks life every time he preaches. He knows the word. He uh, rightly divides the word. He's passionate about his family. He's passionate about Jesus. He loves the church that he pastors. And I, I just cannot imagine anybody else tonight bringing the word that God has for this hour than you, my friend. And so I want you to stand your feet and help me welcome Pastor Jeff Lyle, the Church of Winder to the North Georgia Revival. Well, some nights you just, uh, you flow off the adrenaline and um, other nights, you just wish you could just stay right down there in the front row and just continue to, to bake in whatever the Holy Spirit has been doing for the last hour. And uh, I'll just be honest with you, I'm going to preach, but tonight is one of those nights where uh, I'm just awed with God. About a year and a half ago, the Lord started working on me about my need to get reacquainted with the awe of God. And it happens to a lot of pastors, a lot of people in vocational ministry, a lot of you that have never been in vocational ministry. You just get busy in life and, and you lose your awe of God. It's not that you backslide or that you um, rebel or anything like that. You, it's, it's unfathomable, but we can actually forget the Almighty. And I found myself in a season where, though I was preaching and teaching and writing a book and uh, doing all the stuff that I had done for a long time, that I, I just realized I was doing it for him, but I wasn't doing it with him anymore. And um, when I come to Dawsonville, um, I'm, I'm, I'm selfish. I come up here to get something. I do. You just go ahead and forgive me. I mean, I'm sorry. I just... I just come up here to get something. You can't walk in the door and not get your spiritual taste buds activated. And I, I, every time I come in, whether I'm preaching or not preaching or getting baptized or not or baptizing, I just come in. I'm like, I know he's got something for me today. I don't know if anybody else is going to get something. I'm going to get something. And uh, tonight I got more than I bargained for. And... Um, Joni and the team, as they were leading, especially the last couple of songs, and uh, I'm sorry, speaker's got a demon, he might want to, um, the last couple of songs, we were, we just started centering on, in on the name of Jesus, and, and the room popped, I mean, it just popped, and I just started thinking, because I know what I was going to preach tonight, and what I am going to preach, and um, it just all comes back to him. I mean, it really does. I know that's simple. I'm not trying to be sophisticated tonight. It comes back to that stunning name that is going to be the singular name throughout the endless, ceaseless ages that every creature, angelic and human, and anything else that we might encounter in the kingdom, everybody's going to know that singular name, and it's going to be the highest name, that name of Jesus. Will you just say that with me? Let's just say his name unto him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When I was 24 years old and I was uh, addicted to a whole host of things that were destroying my soul and um, I had a, 
a bivocational Southern Baptist uh, youth pastor that was working with me. And God is sovereign. And God put me, a drunk and a drug abuser, darkened in my soul. And he chained me to this rabid evangelistic Southern Baptist youth pastor for 13 hours a day, three days a week in a room that was about as big as this platform. I couldn't have hid from him if I'd wanted to. And I did want to many times. And he would just constantly talk to me. Every fifth sentence was about Jesus. And eventually, there's something about that name. And I started wanting what he had. I was terrified because I grew up in the church and I had said the prayer and I had gotten dunked at Christian camp. I, I, I got a word for these uh, kids from Kentucky here in a moment because you were the first ones the Lord highlighted to me. I'm going to get to you in a second. Pray that I get into Revelation 19 tonight because at this rate, it's probably not going to happen. But So when, when that moment came on August 4th, 1994, maybe 27 years ago, I think in a week or so, I just went home and all I heard, the, 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 the youth pastor had told me, said, I told him, I'm going to go to church with you this Sunday. And he looked at me as a country boy. He goes, boy, you don't, he had a big blue hardback King James Bible. And he literally slammed it on the counter. He said, boy, you don't need to go to church with me. You need to go home right now, fall on your face and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Snatched up that Bible, turned on a dime and walked down the hall. I'm just sitting there in a puddle of goo. I'm just, and literally the fear of the Lord hit me. And I started trembling and literally to the point when I finally got a mile and a half down the road in my apartment, I had to steady my hand to get the key in the door. And I walked in and I fell down on my face, apartment 112, 3100 Sweetwater Road, Lawrenceville, Georgia, fell on my face. I remember looking at the carpet, matted with beer and all sorts of deadly substances and just looking at it. And that was a picture of my life. And I just looked up with tears streaming down my face and I said, Jesus I give you my life. I've ruined it, but that preacher told me you would save me. I don't care if you save me or kill me, but I'm done running from you. Here's my life. Radically delivered, radically saved, radically transformed. And it wasn't religion, and it wasn't going to church. I'm a pastor. I believe in going to church, but none of that. I'm, I'm telling you, you walk into a church dead and you don't meet Jesus, you're going to leave the church dead. And so it's about him. And today, as we, tonight as we sang, um, just the magnification of that eternal name just overwhelmed me. And I just want to say publicly that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Son of God. I'm not ashamed of the one that hung on the tree. I'm not ashamed of the one who bled and pled for me. I'm not ashamed of the one who patiently bore with me in my darkness and in my sin. I'm not ashamed of the one who chased me down. I'm not ashamed of the one who kept me, kept me alive when I was spiritually dead so that when I became spiritually alive, I'd never have to worry about spiritual death again. I'm not ashamed of him. And if you're in this house tonight and you were like me, a church member, a religious southerner, a guy who prayed the prayer, who got water baptized, but lived like the devil. If you were a teenager grown up in the church, if you're a young adult in the church, or if you're an 87-year-old man named Frank Cacciatore, hallelujah, who wasn't ashamed on a Sunday night to <laughs> Wow, glory! Woo! Wherever you are along the spectrum, it's that name. It's that name. 
So Abraham, you're an evangelist, and this is awkward because I, I wanted to give you this word in private, and I sat on the front row, and I was just weeping. And I just met Abraham and his family tonight, their first-time guest here. And uh, when I put my hand on you uh, back in the room back there, the Lord gave me a verse for you and your family. I just wanted to share it to you privately, and I really felt the fear of the Lord saying, tell him this in front of everybody. And so I'm just going to read it to you. It's two verses from Isaiah 54, and I feel like it's a prophetic word, and uh, you just put it before the Lord and um, rehearse it with him and see what it goes to. But it says in Isaiah 54, 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring, are those your children with you tonight? And your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. So Pastor Todd, if I can just take a moment and just, would you stretch your hands towards this family? Could y'all stand up? I think y'all, could y'all do that? I just felt the fear of the Lord on this. I bless you in the name of Jesus to believe that Isaiah 54, 2 and 3 have some significance for your family in this season. I bless you to believe that part of it that says, do not hold back. I bless you to believe, children believe, that the Lord is going to give your father's offspring, that's you, a voice in the nations. We bless you with every resource supplied. I break off the fear of not having enough. I break that off of you in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we bless you as you continue to serve him, as you continue to move forward. The gift of faith is yours. Let it grow. In Jesus' name, amen. And then very quickly, while you're turning to Revelation 19, I felt like as soon as I walked in the room, I came over here and told my wife, the camp from uh, Kentucky, is it a youth camp from Kentucky? Is that who it is? Youth ministry from Kentucky. When I was walking by, I, I came back over here and I said, God's going to do something in three young people. I think everybody gets blessed tonight. Three young people are going to get gripped tonight. This word is going to grip the hearts. I don't know which three, have no idea, but I want you young ones to pay attention tonight because God's going to grip three of you. I felt like it was two girls and a boy, and you got to get risky sometimes, get specific with prophecy, but I feel like everybody gets blessed from Kentucky tonight, but I feel like three of you are going to get gripped this evening. Revelation 19, I want to talk to you um, about the coming encounter. I never preach out of the book of Revelation. I am not the eschatological future times, end times guru. Um, matter of fact, I'm still figuring some stuff out about the timeline of what's going to happen at the end of the age. Uh, you'll never hear me fight you on it. You'll never hear me divide with other Christians about their eschatology, about when Jesus is coming back, what happens before, what happens after. Uh, frankly, I think the Lord left enough mystery in all of that just to see if his kids would be mature and refuse to fight over it or if they'd plant a flag and say, you're in that camp, I'm in this camp, we can't fellowship. I'm in the camp that says, I know one thing for sure, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and it's going to be in his hand at the end of the age. I think all of us are yearning for something. The American mindset, the American dream tells us, spend your whole life working as hard as you can to earn as much as you can 
to keep as much as you can after you spend as much as you can. So for the last 20 years of your life, you can do nothing and feel like you made it. I just ruined some of y'all's whole retirement plan. But that's the American way. And I'm not saying that good godly people don't have similar plans, but what I'm saying is that plan comes woefully short of what the Son of God came and lived and died and rose and ascended and is returning. It comes woefully short of what he's purchased for us. Because if you live within the conception of retirement is the finish line, then you are not yet fully entered into the kingdom. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're not born again. It doesn't mean you don't have fruit in your life. It just means your mind prematurely stopped thinking about what the end of the line actually is. Because I'm convinced of this, that if we will live with a constant awareness that the end of the line is when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, returns to planet Earth and declares to every living being, both human, angelic, demonic, every creature of the sea, every creature of the air, every creature of the land, when he declares with no further debate, I am the Lord of all, I bought you, you belong to me, all of this is mine, now worship me because I'm worthy. When we get to that place and we recognize that's the end of the line, that's when our lives will truly change. Revelation 19, verse number 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness, now watch this, in righteousness he judges and makes war. Say second coming. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, or more commonly, many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. If you're saved, say, I'm in there. Hallelujah. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, the rest of the chapter is worthy of you reading, but I don't have time with all of it tonight, so I just want to tell you about the coming encounter. If you're born again in this place, my purpose in sharing these, past, these verses with you tonight is just to reorient your thinking before Monday gets you. And to reorient your thinking before your kids or grandkids go back to school and life stops from the summer season and moves into the autumn season. I want to go ahead and try my best to reorient the Christian so that when Christmas comes, it's not primarily sentimental, but it's primarily transformational. I want us to be thinking deeply that 
everything you see, anything you can measure, anything you can hold, anything you've ever tasted, anything we've ever accomplished, eventually, at some point, predetermined by God Almighty, all of that is coming to an immediate end in the future, and it's going to give way to a reality that none of us knows much about right now. We've lost our awe of God because we've lost the mystery in the plan for the fullness of the ages. And all I'm saying tonight is I'm, I'm not saying that we need to sell our homes, quit our jobs, move on to a mountaintop, chew birdseed, make a garden, and start some commune. What I'm saying is this, where you live and how you live, the awareness of that coming day that all of this is going to experience a radically total, comprehensive, complete overhaul. And it happens when the one who owns it comes back. If you're here tonight and you're not born again, I want to tell you that none of what I'm about to share is good news for you until you are born again. And you can be born again tonight. You can be saved this evening. You can repent of your sin and place all of your faith in the crucified one who became the risen one, who is currently the ascended one, who will be the returning one as we just read. And he will not turn you away because he's never turned away a single person that came before his presence and said, Lord, forgive me a sinner. I need a savior and you're the savior. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Let me give you three things. First of all, very simply, the return of the king. And I want you to, I want you to take a moment and discipline your sanctified intellect. And I want you to recognize that when he comes back the second time, he's coming back radically different than he came the first time. And planet Earth is not prepared. Planet Earth is, is, is waiting for Jesus to come back and all of the, the great intellects of the ages think, well, if that Bible stuff's true, we'll sit down and reason with him because after all, He's very gracious and he's very merciful and he's kind. Do you remember when those Christians told us he took the little kids up in his lap and patted their head and blessed them? I'm sure when he comes back, if we got it wrong, he'll be understanding. Wrong. Why? Because he's giving you an uh, opportunity to understand and believe right now. And by this passage of scripture, it's too late. So what does it say he comes back? John is having a vision. John the Beloved is having a vision. He says, I saw heaven opened up. And when he looked up into the open heaven, he said, behold. It's a Greek word that indicates, stop, check it out, look. A white horse. But he's not interested in us just fixating on the white horse. He says, look at the one sitting on it. His name is faithful and true. And John says, oh, and the way he's coming back, he's coming back in righteousness. And, oh, I don't see the overt grace that I wrote about in my gospel. I don't see the tender mercy that we all told the world about and his witnesses have told about. What I see is he's coming back to judge. And he's coming back, hold on, take it up a notch, to make war. Now let's just stop for a minute. 
we glorify Jesus in his mercy. We glorify him in his compassion. We glorify him in his kindness, his patience, his long-suffering. We glorify him as the sacrificial lamb, the substitutionary lamb, the lamb who said, the one who said, I lay down my life for my friends. I lay it down. I give it all. I'll take it back up again. We praise him. But I want you to know, this is not a different Jesus. This is Jesus coming with the, the closure of his assignment. And he's coming back, and the Bible says he's coming back to make war. Now put that on a flannel graph in your VBS class. <laughs> Tormenting the little kids, they come back and they need therapy. But he's, he's called faithful and true. The reason why I can preach this with boldness and confidence is because He's faithful and true. He's faithful and true about everything he said in his first coming. He did it. He did it all. Why? Because his nature is that he does what he says. He's faithful and true. And so I want you to remember with me that the faithful and true one that did everything he said he was going to do in his first coming is going to be faithful and true to do everything he said he's going to do in his second coming. His authority is going to be clear. Look in verse number 12. Some of this may be up on the screen. If not, just follow along on your, on your Bible or your phone or just listen. His eyes or like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. They are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So I want to just break this down for a second. So when John's having the open vision of the faithful and true one coming back on a horse who's going to wage war in righteous judgment on, on the unbelieving population of planet Earth at that time, the Bible says his, his eyes are like a flame of fire. Speaks of his judicial discernment. It speaks of a, a perfect justice penetrating through omniscient eyes that sees everything as it actually is. We lived in such a warped society and the amazing bounty of just ridiculous, or as my kids said when they were little, redonkulous just perspectives on earth that literally from government through the educational system, in pulpits, in entertainment, it is the audacious advance of lies, and everybody knows it's lies, but there is now this inability to, for people to stand up and say, hey, that's actually a lie. That's actually not true. That's actually uh, asinine. That's actually ridiculous, ridiculous. It's, it's ignorance. That's not true. But we live in a culture that says, but we prefer the lies. Because the lies make us feel good about us. So if you'll tell us the lies that we love to believe, we'll keep electing you, hiring you, and, and listening to you. We'll surrender you our brains. We'll surrender you our souls. We'll surrender you our bodies. We'll surrender you our freedom. Why? Because they got the lies that we like to believe. Jesus says, when I come back, ain't going to be no presidents. Ain't going to be no dictators. Ain't going to be no shahs. No prime ministers. It's not going to be any heads of state. When I come back, they're going to look into my eyes and they're going to see flaming, discerning, judicial perfection and they're going to fall on their face. I, 
it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me in this moment which way you vote. I'm just saying that's across the board. Eyes is a flame of fire and on his head many, many diadems. That's just a way of saying he, he's got all the authority when he comes back. Not going to be a negotiating table with the son of God. <laughs> People like to negotiate everything. I'm going to tell you, man, I can't wait. I'm a black and white guy, in case you hadn't noticed. I, I'm just a guy who, li I like clarity. I like, just show me the boundaries. I like to stay within them, but I'm going to max them out. Let me do whatever I can. In the I like order. I like that. I don't feel threatened by order. Order actually helps me. And so when I look at this chaotic world, and I, I see it on your social media feed, and I see it coming down my social media feed, and, and when I watch the news, it would just pump into my brain through the news when I listen to the news. Man, you know what I've gotten to do now? I've gotten so detached. It's like, I don't even like to listen to music with words in my truck anymore. Just because there's so many words going on. I'm just like, Lord, just let me hear your voice in my head, in the word of God, and just give me a place of tranquility. But when he comes back, all the voices are going to be silent. And we're going to see him as John did, and we're going to see the supreme authority on Jesus Christ. By the way, the number one reason why people won't come to Jesus Christ is not because they're not pleased by the nice stories about him in the Gospels. They don't mind that. I mean, reasonable people like to see people get resurrected, get healed, get their eyes open, get their legs back, all of that stuff. Reasonable people like that. Reasonable people like the, 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 the sweet teachings of Jesus. But do you know why people reject Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you, if you're in here and the reason why you haven't come to Jesus Christ, I'm going to strip everything away. I'm going to tell you why you haven't come to him yet. You don't want him to be an authority over you. That's why people don't come to Jesus. They, they just don't, they, they'll sing songs about him. They'll go to his building on Sundays. They'll, they'll, they'll give a little money, you know, just keep a little distance, Lord. I'll give a little money. You keep a little distance. And ultimately, the reason why people don't come to Jesus Christ is because it's that, that little thing in the human heart that Satan exploits called pride and autonomy. And it means you want to be in charge of you. And there's something deep down in your knower that says, if I surrender to Jesus, that means I'm not in control anymore and he's in control. And I want to just tell you, that's absolutely right. When this day comes, all of those who didn't surrender control, guess what they're going to do? Surrender control. But it'll be too late. Because it'll be by force and not by faith. I like this part. I'm only in verse 12. Jesus, help me right now, please, Lord. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. This is why I was crying on the front row tonight. And I had to get my act together because the team just kept singing about his name. And I, I was back there in the back. Um, just quick word of explanation. I, I have a hard time standing in worship no matter what church I'm in. Um, and I always tell the worship team, like, that I'm not back there because I'm protesting. I'm back there because I'm just spiritually chasing something. I mean, it's just, it's just the way I'm wired. So I'm back there in the back, and, and the room, just the atmosphere just changed. And, I, we're, and it's all about his name. And in those moments, it's still and quiet, but it, it's thickening. The room is thickening. And the Holy Spirit is saying, that's right, we're just going to magnify the one I came to testify about. And, he's, and Jesus is getting magnified. And so I'm thinking, and I'm like, oh, his name, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I sat down next to my wife on the front row, and I started crying because I remembered this verse, that when he comes again, he's got a name written that no one knows but himself. <laughs> Glorious 
distinction and inexhaustibility is what that speaks to me about. It means this, as much as we know him, and man, to know him, Jesus, Jesus defines salvation as knowing God in Jesus Christ whom God has sent. This is eternal life that they might know thee and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so we know him and we know him as Lord and we know him as Savior and we know him as Messiah. We know him as King. We know him as Savior. We know him as Healer. We know him as Redeemer. We, we know him by so many glorious titles, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man. We know him. And do you know what this verse teaches me? That when he comes back, there's something about himself that has never been revealed to a single human being. He's got something that he hadn't disclosed yet. And when he comes back, he says, now is the time. I'm going to show you the name. There's no English word for it. All the English people alive at that time say, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. All the people that speak Mandarin, they'll say in Mandarin, I, I have no idea what that is. Portuguese, Swahili, Afrikaans, French. Everybody's going to say, we've never heard that. And he's going to be, that's right, I kept that for this moment. You see, friends, we know him, but I'm going to tell you, the one who knows him best in the room, and I don't know who you are, I'm positive it's not me, but the one who knows him the best in the room, he's still so unfathomable. The, 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 the endless ages will not suffice for us to ever reach a point where we say, close the book, we got it all. That's going to be the glory of heaven, the nonstop revelation about the glory of God. He's peerless. He's majestic. He's inexhaustible. And that's the one that set his affection on you and said, I want you to be my child forever. That's good news to me and you because we're blood-bought, blood-washed, saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, and walking after him. But I'm going to tell you, that's bad news for planet Earth and those who are in rebellion against him when he comes back. Because that name's not going to be a disclosure of joy to them like it is to us. That name's going to be a holy terror to them. Yeah, I know it's a roller coaster in Revelation 19. For the redeemed, it's like, yeah! For the unredeemed, it's like, what time is it? Is he ever going to shut up? Verse 13, he is he's, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. Guys, we have to picture this. He's coming back fierce. Fierce. In the Pentateuch, we read the Lord is a man of war. And in our day of milk toast, mamby pamby, limp-wristed Christianity. Forgive me if that offends you. I forgive you for being offended. In, in the world that we live in, Christians are, we, we just got to be nice. Just got to be nice. God is pleased. More. Well, listen, we're to be kind, but not at the expense of truth. We're to be compassionate, but not indulgent. We're supposed to be helpful and abiding and, and, and uh, long-suffering, but unenabling people. And yes, we are to accept everybody, but that doesn't mean we affirm everything they do. And so when he comes back, listen, I, I, this makes me want to repent while I'm preaching it. It does. A robe dipped in blood. 
And the name by which he's called is the word of God. You know what that says to me? Nobody gets a vote about what I'm about to do. I'm not asking Jesus Christ. I'm not asking for a move, a second. I don't need the UN to convene. I don't want Congress to filibuster over it. I'm not, I'm not including anybody in this. I, Jesus Christ, am the word of God. That means I'm the first word and I'm the final word. And everybody that has pounded against the rock of the word is going to find out the word never budged. Jesus said this about his second coming in Matthew 24. He says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about the final battle. Armageddon, where the corpses are, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Just stop for a second. Do you, do you believe the Son of God? He's saying that every celestial body in some way is going to experience a shaking when the Son of God comes back. That planet Earth itself will be shaken and awakened. That's what Jesus says. Not some rabid Pentecostal preacher. That's what Jesus says. And then he says, and then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They weren't ready. They said no. Maybe some of them that said no thought they'd have a chance to say yes one day, but they said no one day too many. And it says they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know, his first time, I mean, I want you to remember with me, God entered earth's atmosphere and became a human citizen. And scarcely anybody noticed. A couple of magi, some shepherds, some blue-collar workers, the, the priests and the scribes, the Bible scholars and the church leaders, they missed it. And it was the humble that over about 33 years, the humble, the simple, the marginalized, the unimpressive, the unlovely, the unspectacular people. John would write, he said, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. So the vast majority of the population just doesn't believe and won't receive. Jesus said it this way, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. Few and straight, narrow is the way, straight is the gate that leads unto life, and only a few find it. So here's the thing. It's always been a minority remnant. It's always been the small proportion of people that see him, believe him, bow to him, and are going to worship him all of their days. The first time he came, and it barely caused a ripple in those early years. But the second time he's coming, the Bible indicates the whole planet is going to shake, and then every inhabitant of planet Earth is going to stop, and every eye is going to see him. And they're going to see the flaming eyes, and the robe dipped in blood, and they're going to know, oh my, this is him. Get down to the end of Revelation 19. Verse 14. Christians, I want you to hear me on this. I want you to get reoriented in your identity and your destiny right here in verse 14. 
the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Oh, he's in the front, but he's not alone. <laughs> Listen, I'm not being irreverent here. It's not a one-man show. You see, he didn't do what he did just to show back up himself the second time. He showed up himself the first time. The second time, he's coming back, and it says he's coming back with an army. Now, there's a lot of scholarship about who this army is, but if you'll look at the phrase that talks about him being in fine white linen, that's described in a couple of other places in the book of Revelation as being the saints of God, the redeemed of God, the elect of God, the blood-bought, the saved, the forgiven, the blood-washed. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to just shout in this place because that's you. That's you. That's you. That's you. That's me. That's us, man. That's us. That's what he did for us. We're in that number, hallelujah. We are with him. Look, John didn't know your name and he may not have recognized your face, but he saw you. Jesus Christ coming back to planet earth. And there you are. That'll change your Monday when you're working with a pain in the you know what. It'll change your attitude about your ministry when it seems to be all toil and no harvest. When you look at your kids and you're wondering, where's this going to go? What direction is this going to go? If you'll just get reoriented in your identity and your destiny, and you just realize he's overcome, I'm with him, therefore I'm an overcomer. And if you're coming back with the one who's righteously waging war and judging the earth, and you're coming back and the scriptures say you're going to rule and reign with him, there's your value. Your value and your identity is wrapped up in who you know. More precisely, who you're known by. And he knows you. He loves you. And we're going to come back too. You know, we're going to have glorified bodies. I thank the Lord that there's healing Tonight, people are going to get healed. Straight up. If you'll get in the pool tonight and press in, there's going to be healing in this house tonight. One pool, two pool. It may happen while you're waiting in line. It can happen while you're sitting right there. I'm just telling you, get in the pool because there is a, there's a precedent for what's happening in these pools. But there's coming a day you'll never need to be healed again. You won't need that kind of touch from the Lord. Because you're going to have a body that is perfect, perfectly redeemed, perfectly glorified, perfectly situated to last throughout the enduring ages. But until then, hallelujah, God says, I think I'm going to deposit 181 Sunday nights of a foretaste of divine glory in Dawsonville, Georgia. And anybody that wants in on it, come and eat. Amen. don't get blessed by my own preaching and tonight I'm just having a good time man I'm just like come on preach Jeff high five amen yeah it's just him man we're just magnifying him it's him it's him it's him it's him it's him it's Jesus it's the inexhaustible glorious beautiful wonderful majestic holy son of God whose name is above every name 
of things in heaven and things of earth and things under the earth that at the name of Jesus everything will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> mm. I saved folks shouting in this house. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I don't know what all the hoopla is about. You need to get born again. You need to get convinced that he's really as good as he said. I'm not being flippant. I'm not, I'm not being provocative. I'm just telling you, that's actually the answer. If you get saved, not, not if you get religious, not if you join a church, but if you get just straight up born again, redeemed, set free, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know what is the hope of your calling. <laughs> when that hits you, you'll be elbowing the person out of the way saying, let me get me some of that right now. <laughs> I'm having fun, brother. Thank, thank you for letting me come, man. This is just fun. My britches are falling down. Good night of life. All right, so listen, say people, we ought to rejoice over this, but I, I'm, I'm going to bring us to this last thought in verses 15 and 16, that literally, we got to hear this because our mission is not done yet. There, there, listen, I know pastors Todd and Karen Smith and the staff of, uh, of, of this assembly well enough to know they're not just interested in just opening the doors because that's what they've done for 180 previous weeks. They're pressing into what the Lord is doing they're stewarding it. It's spreading. I mean, it's spreading. It's hitting other states. I saw your post. I saw those. And, 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 and the Lord is not content with it just being here, but this is the epicenter. This is the epicenter. But we're not done with our mission. It's, it's, it's not just revival. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, Right? I don't know who it was. I, it broke my heart when, when the, somebody said this stuff's demonic. Listen, I'm, not, I'm not here to assign that person as a reprobate, but that was, that's a foolish thing to say. Of course, they said it about Jesus. They said, ah, oh, he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. They were wrong too. It doesn't make any sense. But do you only serve and believe and trust God to the point where he makes sense to you? Because that means your intellect is your functional God. Your understanding of God is your Lord, not God himself. And so look at what's going to happen on this planet. I don't know when. I don't know when, but I do know what. And it really is, like literally, this planet. It'll affect this nation and every other land on this terrestrial ball. He's coming back and it's going to be the shock of the earth. He's going to establish his government. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
I, the fear of the Lord hits me when I read that. I, I, I almost don't want to touch it. I almost just want to let it be a standalone verse with no commentary from the preacher. From his mouth. That means Jesus will speak from a mouth situated under blazing, fiery eyes coming forth from a, a glorified body that's wrapped in a robe dipped in blood. And while every eye beholds his return, he's going to say something. It just says the sword, the instrument of warfare comes from his mouth. It's his voice. It's his authority. He said, I am the word of God. And it's, it's going to strike down the nations. And then it says, there's a large gap between striking down the nations in the next phrase, which He's going to rule with a rod of iron. Let me just tell you the very least that that means. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to come back to planet Earth and he's going to establish a literal theocracy. A government where he is going to rule the planet. Now there's differing views and I'm not here to start a debate and I don't even want to, but I just want you to let the Bible speak to this. That, that Jesus' mission is not complete the Davidic covenant is not complete until Jesus Christ, the son of David, establishes his throne in Jerusalem and says, now the covenant to David is fulfilled. I, the seed of David, am ruling and reigning on planet Earth. By the way, later on in the book of Revelation, you're going to know that's the reason why all of, the, all of the surrounding nations end up making war on Jerusalem. It's not just simply anti-Semitism that's part of it. It's because they hate the one ruling on the throne in Jerusalem. Why? Because again, people hate his authority. Guys, this generation needs to hear it. There's an authority in the cosmos. And it's not you. And it ain't me. And it's not your political party. And it, God, I listen, I'm a patriot, but it's not the United States of America. I thank God for our military, but it's not our military. It's not even Israel. Listen, it is the Son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord. And the nations are going to bow at what comes out of his mouth. In the end of verse 15, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up, please. The end of verse 15 says he's going to tread. God, help us to hear this. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's the most unpopular teaching in this generation. When my grandparents were in church, every two weeks they heard about the wrath of God. And the fear of God was a component in the American culture. But when preachers started backing off the wrath of God, we saw a diminishing of the fear of God and an increase of the rebellion against God. And here we are today in 2021, and we're wondering, what happened? Well, that's what happened. But it doesn't change the facts. Listen, hear me this. Huh. It's kind of a downer, but I'm not here to stroke your ego or to make you feel awesome. I want us to have, even the, the believers, just a little bit of a, a holy awe of God. The wrath of God is coming to a planet near you. No, seriously. And none of us have a clue what that looks like beyond what's described in the uh, Old Testament prophetic books and the book of Revelation. 
and a little bit in the epistles. The wrath of God must be poured out on all sin because God is going to prepare an eternal place that is suited for his glory and he's got a purer eyes to ever look upon sin. There will be no sin in the eternal state. So it's got to be purged. It's got to be purified. If, if you wonder how much God hates sin, look at what he called his son to do so that it might be dealt with. God commended his love toward us and that while we were sinners, his son, Christ, died for us. God's love for us, attached to his hatred for sin, led to an inter-Trinitarian agreement between Father, Son, and Spirit that the Son would come and die, that he would take the wrath of the Father in his first coming, and all of the bowls of wrath were poured out upon Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin so that we who were sinners might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus took all of the wrath of God for those that will believe and he took it upon himself. And when you believe, there's never going to be any wrath on you again. Never going to be any wrath on any of you that have bowed your heart to Jesus Christ. But for those that are outside of the provision of his blood, wrath is coming. I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I don't take pleasure in telling you that. But I'm telling you, we're getting close to the end. And when the warning is disappearing from the, the preachers and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors, and we're not telling the truth, how can people repent unless they hear the truth? So he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And I just ended with verse 16. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. This is different than the unknown name. This one's known. And this is who he is to you and to me. He is the king over every king. Now I want you to, I want just, I want you to think about that. Every Caesar, every Herod, every Pharaoh, every prime minister, every dictator, the Antichrist, when his, his diabolical head rears itself at the end of the age, Jesus is going to look at them. And I'm telling you this. I'm, I'm not trying to be cute. He's going to look at them and say, what you got? Do you think you got something? Because I am the king above every king. As a matter of fact, I want you to do something. I'm just going to quit right here. There's a picture of it in Isaiah 14. It's the end of the age and it's the final judgment. In Isaiah 14, you have a picture of Satan right before he's cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible says that the redeemed are going to look at him. Satan. Satan. Him. And they're going to say because they're going to be glorified and with the king of kings and they're going to be in his presence and he's about to damn to the lake of fire satan forever and ever and the bible says he's the, the people are going to look at him and say is this the one that troubled the nations so what's my point what do you do with that you need to believe that now 
You need to believe that now. You need to recognize that you don't got to wait however many years before Jesus comes back, before you can start looking at Satan now. And when you're walking in the spirit, you can look at him and say, is this the one that's been troubling me? Is this host of demons been, every time I preach on this, there's backlash from the enemy. Tonight, it's worth it, amen. It's worth it because I want to tell you, stand to your feet in the name of Jesus. Stand to your feet. Every single demon, hear this. By the word of the Lord, his blood is against you. Your power is nullified. Your accusations are not to be received by us. We do not receive your verdict of sickness and disability and depression and mental illness. We are saying to you, no, you won't destroy our family. You won't take our children. You won't kill us. We won't go out in defeat. We are not prisoners. We are not captives. We are children of the Most High God. Bought with the precious blood of Jesus, we will live forever and ever in a glorified state. And Satan and every demon, you go to hell because that's where you are destined. If you're in this house tonight, the fear of the Lord hits you because you know you're not ready for the end of the age. Your heart's trembling because you don't know where you stand with God. I want you to get out of your seat right now. I want you to come forward. Don't waste a moment. Come on. Come on. Come on. It doesn't matter if you're 87 years old. Hallelujah. Come on. Is there anybody in this house? Anybody in this house that says, I just don't know where I stand? Anybody else? No, I'm telling you, man, we're getting down to the end of the age. Don't listen to that voice that says, we'll take care of it later. No, you need to strike while the iron is hot. Yeah. Pastor Todd, Pastor Karen, can you, can you get some altar workers to come forward and just to help? Listen, come on. We're not playing around. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's mad. I'm intense, but I am happy and I believe on your behalf. But you've got to come. If that's you, come on. I see some of you and, and waves of relief are hitting you because you know the battle's about to end. You know it's about to be over. You know that the fight that has just taken its toll on you is about to come to the end because this is your moment of surrender. Where you stand right, there's others, man. I just feel it. I'm not an evangelist. I'm just telling you, I feel it. There's others right now that you're wrestling with it. Just let the Lord pin you. If you're wrestling, let him pin you. And when he pins you, you'll be free to come forward. He's going to take away the wrath. He's going to take away the condemnation. He's going to take away the fear, the unhealthy, trembling, dread of God. I'm going to give you the gospel. You already know something. You already know things aren't right between you and the Lord. That's because all of us are born with a sin nature. That means we sin by nature and we sin by choice. It's just part of who we were born as. And the enemy exploits that. And the enemy provokes that with temptation. And the enemy disturbs that. And he's been doing that your whole life. But Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, his blood satisfied the penalty of sin. But it not only satisfied the penalty of sin, it broke the power of sin. So that you not only get forgiven tonight, you get free tonight. Jesus, Rakanturia. Jesus, you get free tonight. But I'm going to tell you what you got to do. 
you got to bow your heart to his lordship. No, no, no. We're, we're not doing a sweet little Sunday Jesus coming to my heart prayer. We're doing a full-blown, radical, Jesus, I repent. I'm a helpless sinner who needs you as my Savior. Come and rescue me right now. And you don't need my words to repeat because your heart already has that in you. He reads your heart. When I got saved, it was, Lord, I've ruined my life. I don't care if you save me or kill me, but take me. I'm done running from you. And I've never been the same. So where you are right now, will you just express right now that you're repenting of your sin? And you're bowing your will and your life to him. It's whatever he wants, and he wants something good for you. Whatever he wants. Whatever he gets wants to change, he gets to change. Whatever he wants to give, he gets to give. Anything he wants to take, he takes. Why? Because he knows what's best. But you have to say yes. And so will you do that right there? It's not a religious prayer. Right there. I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. And if you will say yes to him in sincerity and honesty, he will rescue you right now. 30 seconds of silence. So for any and all that have turned from self and sin and turned to Jesus in a moment of weakness and faith, it's just, you, you just declare your weakness and say your strength is sufficient. For any and all that have done that, the Bible says this, you're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. You're not embarrassed of this moment. Doesn't matter how many times in the past you've done it. If you're making it real and right tonight, you're not ashamed of him. So if you've said yes to him this evening, from a repentant heart and said, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I want you to put both hands up in the air with no shame whatsoever. If you're in this group, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I see it on you, ma'am. I see it on you. I see it on you. Yes. Yes. So now the adventure begins. There's a wholeness on your soul. This is where the race begins and it's a beautiful thing. He's going to take you on adventure. He's not done with you yet. There's now a purpose activated in your life. There's a reason for this moment. I'm going to ask the apostle of this region, Pastor Todd Smith, to come up here. We're going to do baptisms tonight. Some of you, listen, earlier before, what, during worship, I was envisioning baptisms. I saw serpents getting drowned in the waters. If you are even thinking about getting in the water, but you hadn't made up your mind, I just made it up for you. Get in the water tonight. Pastor Todd Smith. 